Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you think that 15% of the global population is disabled, whether that's a physical or an invisible disability, how many people are being left out of the conversation? How many people are being left out of accessibility of products and services when we talk about diversity and don't don't even think about disability hey how are you i'm good thank you how are you yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. It should be quite interesting to kind of walk through some of the work that you guys do. But likewise to how I generally start these podcasts, I like to understand the guest a little bit more. So maybe let's start with a background into who you are, what you do and why. Yeah, of course, of course. And thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, my background, um, I suppose my background and career have always been in the creative industry. So that's really been the, the world that I've been working in my whole life. I'm from a big Irish family in the Midlands and a working class background. And yeah, I think from a purpose perspective, really, when, when I did my A-levels back at school many years, many years ago, our media teacher took us to an advertising agency in Birmingham called Cogent the Day, which to my 17-year-old self was literally the most exciting, amazing place I'd ever been, full of very sophisticated 20-somethings. Everyone was wearing jeans, which was amazing to me, and eating lunch at their desk, which I thought was was brilliant, much less than I think it now when I do it quite a lot. And, and not to give away my age, people were smoking at their desks as well. So it was a very kind of different world to what I'd expected work to look like. I mean, up, up to that time, I'd sort of thought work was being a lawyer or being a doctor, or you'd have to be a vet. You know, you had to have a, a kind of a classic job. And I'd been really quite naive in that, and that I had no idea there was this whole kind of other world of bubbling creativity that I could be part of. You know, there's certain days in your life that really stand out. Well, certain days in my life that really stand out. Not many, not many, but that was absolutely like a signature moment in my life when I walked into that building and I really thought, yes, yes, this this is what I want to do. These are the people. This is the people. These are the people I want to work with, and this is the sort of job I'd love to have. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't want to leave. At the end of the session, I was the one with my hand up asking lots of questions. I was the sort of annoying student that was asking how to get a job. And, and yeah, to cut a long story short, they, they sponsored me to a university uh, where, I did, where I did a communications degree. It wasn't, it wasn't like a Netflix deal or anything. It was a, like, it was like 200 pounds a term or something. It was a small, it was a small amount, but it kept us connected while I was at university. 
And yeah, I worked with them for five years at, during my formative working years. And the people there were really good, really kind teachers. And that was my introduction to the world of advertising, the world of branding, and, um, and the power of creativity, really, to change the world. So that was, that was where I came from. And then following on from that, I worked in lots of agencies with some big global brands, with like Land Rover, Citibank, Samsung. And really, it was my background's always been in learning how to sell stuff to the world and the world needs stuff so that's a good a good skill to have but as part of that work when I was working in one of the agencies um, a really good friend of mine and a colleague at the time Marianne Waite uh, was champ- championing inclusive design and she really wanted to make sure that all of our digital and print communications were creating a really accessible product for, our, for, the, for the customers out there. And it was really talking to Marianne, who's got a sister with severe cerebral palsy, that made me start to think about accessibility and through that lens of marketing and creativity on a different sort of scale. And to think about the audiences we were serving at the agencies I was working at and who was missing out on that work at that time. So, so there was a sort of change in my thinking because of the people I was working with. And then three, three personal things happened to me in quite, in quite quick succession. Uh, my sister was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in her early 30s, which kind of seemingly came out of nowhere um, as we didn't have any history of MS in the family and didn't really know anything about it. So from then on, she was classed as disabled, although she didn't identify as disabled, which is the part of the conversations that we have at Valuable 500 um, even now. My mum was diagnosed with breast cancer, so I went from being very able to being very unable and then recovered, luckily, so she went back to being able again. And then she had a year and then she got it again and went through that cycle again, which is kind of temporary. So she had a temporary disability twice and she again recovered. So, But we, we watched her deteriorate and then come back up again. And then the third thing that happened was my dad was diagnosed with dementia and I was really involved in and continue to be involved in supporting him as a, a kind of unofficial carer. So I, I saw the world through his lens, trying to navigate his finances, trying to help him with his housing and his support levels. So, yeah, it was, it was probably five years ago that I, I really started to look at disability through a completely different lens. And that, that was through a combination of experiences with my family, but also with the work that I was doing. And how are your family these days? Yeah, okay. well, Dad's obviously, he's still got dementia, so we continue to support him. Um, my sister has MS, but it's a, a, she manages it um, with medication. And my mum luckily got through, you know, she's, she's survived cancer twice. And hopefully, hopefully that will be the last we see of it. But I think you're always, you always worry what, what, if you've had, you've had it once, you've had it twice. There's always that that it might come back again so but yeah they're all they're all good they're all good 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 so yeah like your why behind valuable 5500 sorry is um it's very distinct yeah. very very apparent but i guess to some of our listeners that may not know the exact finite detail around what you guys do and, and why maybe kind of elaborate a little bit more about that yeah definitely so it was marianne who i mentioned earlier that was working at the valuable 500 when it was launched with our founder caroline casey and uh, the Valuable 500 is it's a global movement 
of 500 CEOs who've committed to take an action on disability inclusion. So it, it started out really as a, a rallying campaign. It was like, we need, we need the business leaders out there. We need the people in power to help make, just get disability on the agenda, on the leadership agenda. You know, governments and charities are not accelerating disability inclusion fast enough. And, and really, we were out there asking CEOs to commit to one action on disability inclusion. And the idea is if we could get 500 CEOs all taking one action, and it, it didn't matter how big or small the action was, the idea was that that collective combination of action happening at the same time could really start to drive a kind of tipping point out into society. When we launched the Valuable 500, EY did a piece of research for us as part of that launch. And they found out from, from the work that they were doing that there were, there were 96% of companies that they looked at were talking about diversity, but only 4% mentioned disability. So if we think about that for a moment, companies out there talk, and we see it all the time, companies talking about how diverse they are, how they want to be, be seen as diverse. And, and they're really talking about gender and they're talking about sexuality and they're talking about ethnicity. And disability is continuously missed off that agenda, even though it's the one area, it's the one area any of us could, any of us could become disabled at any time. The three examples I've just given, you know, you, you could become, you could be temporarily dis disabled, even if you live a very long, healthy life, eventually, you know, you'll, you'll become less able at some point. So um, it's made me look at the world in a completely different way. If you think that 15% of the global population is disabled, whether that's a physical or an invisible disability, how many people are being left out of the conversation? How many people are being left out of accessibility of products and services when we talk about diversity and don't, don't even think about disability? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not just being left out, it's being left behind. And I think in respect, in respect to that, it's like it comes around to the larger question as to what sort of society do we want to build going forward? And is it one that's inclusive for all or is it one where it leaves people behind? And I think that it's important to not leave anybody behind. Exactly. And I mean, even a really small personal example of, of me trying to take my dad on holiday to Ireland, the experience of getting my dad through security at an airport is so challenging and stressful and that's just one small personal experience i mean if you look at something like the cop 26 summit in, Gla in glasgow last year where the israeli minister was unable to participate because the transport provider couldn't couldn't accommodate her wheelchair yeah, i mean yeah. that is literally exclusion happening on the world stage right now in 2021 at one of the world's you know premier events i mean it's 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 shocking. It's very shocking. And that's something that the Valuable 500 are trying to trying to combat. And, and do you know why that happened? That will have happened because there probably weren't any wheelchair users in the events team. And they won't have done a, a kind of test to make sure that the event was accessible for everybody before before they opened the doors. So, yeah, yeah. That's, it's those sorts of it's, it's that kind of integration of thinking that we're really trying to to have happen through our businesses, through the Valuable Fight. So how did you go about starting the movement? Because I know that a lot of, from my initial research, a lot of it's been done back at like the early days of the World Economic Forum. Kind of talk me through how you got so many CEOs to sign up and kind of what action has come about since this initial engagement. 
Yeah. So, yeah, we was la- launched in January 2019 at the World Economic Forum. And the, the way it sparked was Caroline Casey, who's our founder, is legally blind herself and has been in the disability campaigning space for over 20 years. And she met Paul Coleman, who is the ex-global... Yeah, Unilever. Yeah, at One Young World in um, in Colombia uh, back in 2017. And when Paul Pullman retired from Unilever, uh, the World Economic Forum gave him the um, the main stage opportunity to, to talk about a topic, and he chose to use that opportunity to talk about disability through the lens of business. So it was actually Paul that helped to create that opportunity for the conversation to happen on the main stage. And that meant Caroline and Paul were joined by leaders from Accenture, from Microsoft, from Procter & Gamble, from Fujitsu. And and those leaders were, were for the first time, having a conversation about disability at at Davos, let alone on the the main stage. But also through that lens of, it's not about charity, it's not about CSR, this is about an, a business imperative. You know, this is about an audience that are being missed. This is about a talent pool that is out there for businesses to, to potentially tap into. And how do we as business leaders take responsibility and accountability for changing the status quo? Those leaders on the stage at the, the World Economic Forum back in 2019 were, were our founding signatories. And then once we had seven, you know, our, our original signatories... We also had Richard Branson as a big supporter at the beginning, and, and he um, helped fund us in our first phase through Jeff Dodds at Media uh, at Virgin Media. And yeah, that was the, the beginning of the ball rolling, really. But it, it was it was those leaders of leaders. If we hadn't had those first seven, if we hadn't ever met Paul, then we would obviously we would have been starting from complete scratch. So it, it was it was using the leadership of the of the first seven CEOs that we had to try and encourage more to, to join the movement and come together. What do you think has been some of the biggest challenges historically and maybe barriers as well in respect to the work that you guys are trying to do? Uh, well, I joined the Valuable 500 back in, just, just after it had been launched. So I, I joined after the launch. And my job when I first joined was to get the companies on board. That was, that was basically what I was doing. And the ask was actually very simple. We were asking the CEO to, we were asking CEOs of companies with, with over a thousand people to sign a commitment statement to say that they were aware of the Valuable 500 campaign, they fully supported it, and that they would commit to one action each, and they would communicate that action to their organization. So it was quite easy to join. We weren't asking for money. We weren't asking for anything really other than action and, and of the sponsorship through a signature of the CEO. And, and while it was simple, it was also quite difficult at the same time. As you can imagine, we were a startup. Uh, even though we'd been launched at Davos, we were a completely new organization in terms of name. People hadn't necessarily heard of us. And I probably, we had hundreds and hundreds of conversations. To, to, to get 500 CEOs, we, we would have had well over 2,000 conversations. We, we contacted thousands and thousands of companies to ask them to join. And I would say that the... The challenges were, it was two sides of the, of the same coin with every conversation. So you'd have the small companies, the starter companies, um, 
or, or companies that hadn't really done very much on disability or some that would say that they had done nothing on disability at all, they would have two different arguments. One would be, we don't know what we're doing, so we can't join. Or we haven't started, so we can't join. So that would be one way. Or the other side of that is, we don't know what we're doing and we haven't started, so we must join. We must join the other 499 companies because this is the best possible way that we can start this. So that was the conversation I was having with the with the companies that were really worried about not having ever done anything ever. And then there were a group of companies in the middle that w- it would be, we would call them our scalers. It was companies that had they'd done a few things. You know, it was always the side of the desk. It, it might be a parent of a disabled child that had taken it upon themselves to, to do something as part of their work because it was their passion project, but it wasn't necessarily the, their actual focus of their job. And this was all about pockets of activity that, that was happening within organisations. And, and that group could either say, well, we haven't done enough. We haven't really done enough. We haven't got it right yet. So we don't want to join because we haven't got it right yet. Once we've got it right, then we'll join. Yes. Um, and, and the other side of that conversation was, actually, we really need some help. We need CEO. We, we could do with our CEO support. We'd love it if our CEO could sign and, and back us and we could get some more budget and we could get a team around this, and we could really start to scale some of the work that we're doing. And so those were the scaler group in the middle. And then we had the leaders. You know, there's some brands out there that are doing some fantastic work in the space of accessibility, in the space of inclusion for for disabled employees, for customers. And, you know, again, you can have two sides of that conversation. You could have the leader companies saying, we're right, actually. Thanks. We're fine. We know what we're doing. We're, We're good. We don't need to join your thing because we're, 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 on, we're on track. Um, or they could say, actually, why have you got 400 companies there trying to do this problem that we've already solved? Let, let us help. Let, let us share what we already know with, your organiz- with the other organizations and then let's get there quicker. You know, let's not solve the same problem 500 times. Um, how do we collectively collaborate as a community, to move the disability inclusion agenda forward and start to really see some traction and some progress. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's always quite funny when you listen to people to say we can't join because of X, Y, and Z, but actually when you delve into it what the the opportunity is ahead of people is like you, you don't need to have the finished article to begin with you're actually you're trying to grow you know, almost like the start small to grow big mentality you just you have to start start with action and then you get beyond the simple um, nuance and narrative and you actually start to able to implement things within your business that are going to be beneficial and then wider to that you've also got the ability to have more clarity, more connection with other businesses that are doing similar and um, take advantage of like tribe or community and a galvanizing group of people all wanting to sh- achieve the same shared goal. There's so much positivity that can, that can be taken about by solving some of these most pressing challenges that we face by coming together. I totally agree. And, and nobody's expected to have all the answers, but actually if we've got 500 questions and then we've got 300 answers between us, then why not share that information? Yeah, I, d- I genuinely think that that collective, collaborative community feel what was a big reason why a number of companies signed up. You know, there were companies asking to be connected. They, they would say, Joe, I'm really struggling with our recruitment process. And because I'd had three conversations with a company three weeks ago that had, sol- you know, had, had made some progress on the recruitment side of things, I could connect them together. And those conversations then... You know, so it saves time and it saves money and it saves effort and it helps to to make the change happen quicker. It's true. And often often businesses look upon competition in, in the wrong light, I think, in respect to they, they think that actually if we reveal what we're doing internally, then it's going to be detrimental to us. But competition is, is not really the essence of progression. The essence of progression is partnerships. And if you're able to build out effective partnerships with people, then anything is possible. And, you know, going forward, you can actually go beyond simple narrative and, and start focusing on action and put in place plans for remediation if there aren't specific methods in play. And you can make sure that, you know, some of the issues that have been kind of on the, in the pipeline for a number of years can be addressed and, you know, solved going forward. And I think that's the, that's the crux. It's how people, individuals, businesses etc look have a viewpoint on say competition and i think it should be viewed more so as an opportunity to create real positive partnerships moving forward definitely we, we call it collaborative competition on that very point um at mobile world congress earlier this year in february we had three of our valuable 500 companies on stage together apple google and microsoft all having a conversation about accessibility and the tech sector and the work that they're doing in the space. So we've actually found that 
people are, people within companies are very generous in sharing information and their ideas and their solutions. It seems to be a space from from my experience the disability inclusion space seems to be one where companies are happy to share the progress that they've made and the answers that they've found, which has been very, it's very heartwarming to do a job where you speak to people, where you feel that there's a lot of good in the world. You know, there's a lot of brilliant chief diversity officers out there who are really genuinely trying to do good in the world. And it can be very lonely uh, at the top when you've got big global challenges, you're working for a huge organisation that's in 50 markets and you've got different rules and different legislations in different places why shouldn't we work together to to help to help figure this out you know so yeah exactly and i think also some of the challenges um historic when it comes to problem solving is a lack of knowledge and awareness so people can often be put off by the fact that they need to educate themselves and others in order to kind of grow and develop moving forward and I think if you if you have that mindset I guess like we've chatted about in previous podcasts about mindset but if you have the mindset to be on a growth trajectory on a on a focus on growth and development rather than kind of fixed in your ways then you have real opportunity for scope for development and i think that the more people that can be more embracive towards education learning self development and development of others the better will um, world will be able to progress to within if we look at the element of education as well one of the things i was interested in in respect to valuable in action was the generation valuable Yes. Yeah, that's an initiative we've uh, we launched actually at Davos this year. So as I've mentioned, we've got our 500. In fact, I, I don't think I did mention, but we have got our 500. In case. We, uh, we actually announced last May that we've got our, our 500 companies, which was incredibly exciting. So we got there in kind of two years. And those 500 companies are across 64 countries. They um, employ 22 million employees. And the combined revenue of those companies is over $8 trillion. So they are some huge and fantastic companies that are part of our, of our 500. And what we've now launched is Generation Valuable, which is our next generation program for people with a lived experience of disability within each of our 500 organizations. So what we're doing is building this second community of the kind of movers and shakers, people that work within the organisations that are part of Valuable 500, that have disability, have the insight of the business they work within. And we're going to be pairing them with a with a C-suite level mentor and bringing them together to really share those insights. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great thing because the insights is going to be essential going forward because if we look at... Let's look at some of the global challenges that we all know and see at the moment. And one of the best examples being the um, conflict within Ukraine. I think looking yeah. at looking at that as a whole, there's an estimated 2.7 million people with disability living in Ukraine. And looking at the fact that they're trying to leave these kind of war-torn areas, there's work that's being done by yourselves in, in respect to the Nippon Foundation as well, which I think is really, really positive. Yeah, so um, the Nippon Foundation are our primary sponsor. They're our global impact partner, and they are the funder um, of the work that we're doing. What we did was we connected the Nippon Foundation who wanted to support people with disabilities who were trying to leave Ukraine with some of the disability business organisations that we work with within Ukraine and outside of Ukraine on the borders to really 
get the money in the right place to ensure that there was a, an inclusive evacuation program being put into place and that we could really have action happening quickly for those people that otherwise would, as you said earlier, be, be left behind. And also some people have, have to be left behind. They're unable to leave. So we have to remember that some disabilities will, will stop people leaving the Ukraine and they just have to stay there. So that money will also go towards medicines and supporting people that have no choice other than to stay in that war zone whilst that war continues. Yeah. And I think some of the elements of the work that you do is, is the is the truth that you tell. Because if you look at some if you look at holistically, I don't know if it's if it's stats correct, but when I was doing my re- my research, I found that there was a rough estimate of one point three billion people that have disabilities are routinely facing facing discrimination. And if you look at some of the challenges for the cost of living crisis, for example, if you if you think from a caring perspective, their costs are just going up and up and up and up in respect to their disability allowance. But the support is, in my view, is is not is not quite there in respect to payment for for particular workers and non-disabled workers and also the energy costs, the transportation costs that are built into that. I think some of these truths need to be kind of articulated. So maybe look at the holistic view on maybe what the challenge is and just describe a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that we're, as I said uh, earlier, it's really about us using business as a vehicle to address the inequality and the inequity of people with disabilities across society. So whether that's people that are working, that aren't working, that aren't able to work, it's about how do we, as consumers, as employees, as people who believe in business and buy from business and work for businesses, um, how do we use those that vehicle of business to, to make a difference in the world? And I think it's, you know, we've mo- what we're doing is we're moving from the first phase, which was getting our 500 CEOs to commit to one action each, whatever that action was, to a second phase where we're building a transformation program that all of our 500 companies will work across. And we've been working with what we call our iconic companies, which are 15 of our 500 companies who are co-funding and co-creating with us in six different areas to help support the global disability community ultimately through this lens of business. So we've got six areas. We're looking at how do we support leadership? How do we support the C-suite in the way that they talk about disability and the the stories top down that come out of businesses around disability inclusion? How do we support the culture of our organisations from the inside out? How do we support our businesses from a customer perspective? So looking at that customer experience through the lens of disability. And then how do we change the way or even begin the way that disabled disability is reported publicly, that research is done into the space of disability and how people with disabilities are represented in our uh, in communications and across the world. So we're working on this kind of six-pronged attack, a huge transformation program that we'll be putting our 500 companies through and that they'll be able to, to use to uh, to access tools and to access guidance and to share best practice with each other. You mentioned the C-suite stories and also the reporting element. Before we dive into the reporting, I just wanted to kind of delve in a little deeper in respect to some of the C-suite stories that you've heard, because largely in respect to some of the challenges that, that you see, that I see as well, 
have largely been because there's been a period of silence for quite some time in respect to some of the challenges that we face. So I'm interested to gauge from from your experience and knowledge, what are the, some of the stories that are coming out of the C-suite based on some of the work that they've done and some of the learnings? I mean, that, I mean that's, that's one of the reasons that we target the CEOs and the C-suite. Um, when Caroline met Paul Pullman at One Young World back in 2017, I think the idea that we could have 500 Paul Pullmans with the, the way that he talks about disability on, the, on his platforms and links disability inclusion to sustainability from a, from a C-suite perspective is exactly what we want to hear. But we actually did some research with, uh, with Tortoise back uh, last year. So across the FTSE 100, the research showed that absolutely none of the C-suite had disclosed as having a disability. And then in a separate piece of research that we did with EY, we discovered that 7% of CEOs do have a direct experience of disability, but four out of five of them are hiding it. So it's whether it's a question of self-disclosure or uncovering you know, the, the information that is already out there. I think it's it's more so an opportunity to break the stigma because I, like a lot of people that maybe choose not to disclose a disability, they often think that if they disclose said disability, then, you know, it'll be detrimental in their in their career path and journey. And I think actually that's quite short-sighted because for one, if you look at companies where they are going to be biased against a particular disability, then you have to ask yourself the question, do you really want to be working in that organization to begin with? And then second to that is actually, we're not going to be able to get above and beyond some of the challenges that we face at this point in time, unless we are able to really understand each and everybody's finite connotations their detail in respect to the challenges that they face, you know, and disability can be anything. It can be those like visual disabilities and it can be those um, unseen disabilities like mental health as well. So I think looking at the wider implications, there's only positive that can come from the communication, the conversations that you guys are having. So, yeah, I think that that accountability piece is important, but so is the transparency and also the ownership. And when I talk about transparency and ownership, you did mention a little bit about the reporting element, because I think statistically speaking, it's important to progress the conversation towards, okay, we've implemented said actions. What have been the quick wins? What have been the effects of implementation? And how has this helped build a more inclusive company going forward? So maybe walk me through a little bit about the reporting and also some of the statistics that you're finding. Yeah. And just to go back to that question around culture of trust, I totally agree with you. As humans, or maybe I'm just talking for myself, it's easy to be suspicious if people ask questions about you that you don't necessarily need to or want to disclose. So part of the work that we're doing around um, self-ID, and we're doing that work with Deloitte and with Google, we're looking to sort of share methodologies of how um, organisations ask about disability and how they gather their disability data and be able to share best practice around that. But it but it's absolutely goes hand in hand with building a culture of trust. So if, if I don't trust you, then I'm not going to tell you. And that's that's a human reaction. But on the on the reporting side of things, there are a few things that we're doing. Uh, one of the big things that we're doing is a quarterly global trend report. So every member of our valuable 500 company 
we'll get a global trend report each quarter. And those are actually available on our website as well for everybody to access. And those look at what are the innovations that are happening across the world in terms of disability inclusion from a business perspective giving sort of live examples so there's there's a report there's a kind of external reporting piece happening that we're doing on a regular basis we've also conducted research within our 500 organizations and we've produced a report called the valuable truths report um, which was just out last month that really is um, the one piece of research we do with our companies each year to ask them how they're getting on with their their commitment to action, how things are changing within their organisation, what does the landscape look like for disability inclusion, what challenges are they facing, um, so that we can start to look collectively at our community and see some of the themes that are coming through. And this year's report showed us that 89% of the respondents felt that they'd made some progress on their commitments uh, since joining, which is fantastic. Bearing in mind some companies will have only joined last May when we announced the full 500 explicitly pulled out that they are encouraging applications uh, for for roles from disabled candidates. But on the other side of things, 33% still felt that they didn't have a digital focus on their accessibility. I mean, it's called the valuable truth for a reason. We want genuine insight from our companies. We want to know the areas that are are going well and what's not going so well. And where can we we work collaboratively to, to help support each other? And then another way that we are looking to do that is we are working on a digital hub for our members. So up to now, obviously, we've we've only been around for three and a half years, but we've up to now, everything's been done quite manually, quite personally. It's been very much conversation with person A and connecting them with person B. But we've been building, we've been really busy building a digital hub to that will allow our members to connect with each other and to share the challenges but also to share the wins like where are we doing really good work actually give each other some ideas to to help to help solve challenges but also to do some great things so that is being worked on as we speak and will be live later this year um, what would you say to kind of a company or a said number of companies that have maybe not gone and um form part of this collaboration what would be kind of some of the quick wins that they could do immediately within the organization to kind of raise more awareness and ultimately lead to more inclusion well i think the the short answer to that is there isn't a cheat sheet there's lots of small things that companies can do and that's part of the transformation program that we're working on actually is and that will be shared with the whole world once we've once we've tested it with our 500 companies but i think the the obvious place to start is with your people. If we know that 15% of the population globally has some form of disability, whether that's physical or invisible, then there will be disability representation within your business. So how do we get better at gathering that data around the people that already work for us and really understanding what those people need in order to support them? As I said, you could, companies can download our trend reports if they are already part of the Valuable 500, then we've also got a, um, a directory of business disability specialists that can help support our, our companies. And we'd also be happy to help connect people with those, those organisations if they need support in certain areas. And yeah, we, we also have a waiting list. So companies are very welcome to come and, um, and be on the waiting list around that. But there's, there's lots of brilliant disability organisations supporting in different countries So in the UK, for example, we've got the Business Disability Forum who are out there doing amazing work on 
advising companies day to day on all sorts of very specific topics. So, you know, in the UK, organizations could join the Business Disability Forum. They could join Disability in in, in America. There's different organizations that are, are doing great work. So I would I would recommend that companies look to their own organization, their own country and the support that they can get there. I, I could talk to you all day because I'm really interested and intrigued by this topic. I think one of the things that I wanted to understand as well is maybe like your thoughts for the future. What does the future look like in respect to what you guys are trying to build and the journey you guys are on? And maybe kind of a key takeaway that you'd like to leave with our audience. Yeah, I think what does the future look like? Well, the the beautiful future that we're trying to paint, what, what we'd love to see is all 500 of our companies just as our, the original incubator, if you like, of insight. We're building these tools. We're building solutions together so that we can test with our 500 companies to be able to gather data better, to employ disabled people and keep them, to be able to report on the work that we're doing as organizations and be more representative of people with disabilities in our communications, to do research and innovation with disabled customers before products are are built and developed. Uh, So really, it's integrating disability into business in the same way that we integrate women into business. You know, it shouldn't be seen in a way, it's, it, it shouldn't be seen as this kind of other thing. And that's what we're really about. It's disability is an, is an umbrella across all of us. And we want to see it integrated in every single part of business and therefore into society. We want to see the Israeli minister able to attend summits and events around the world. We want to see more films like Coda getting awards and getting getting platform time and space. We want to see people like Rose on Strictly Come Dancing and making us all sort of laugh and cry on uh, on a Saturday night. So it's really about how do we embrace society, disability within our society. No, well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.